0: beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you ever experience doubts about your faith? Is it sometimes a struggle for you to believe in God? Do you sometimes wonder if God's promises are for you? Doubt is not an uncommon issue for God's people. The Bible tells us about how difficult it was for Abraham to hold fast God's promises as the years passed and he didn't receive a son. It tells us about how Peter had such a strong faith that he jumped out of the boat to walk on water, but that when he saw the wind, he doubted. Thomas doubted the testimony of the other disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead. He said that unless he saw in Jesus' hands the mark of the nails and he put his hand into his side, he would not believe. There are different things that can cause us to doubt our faith. When people say that dinosaurs are millions of years old, it can make us doubt the Genesis creation account. It can be a struggle for Christians to reconcile what so-called science teaches and what the Bible says. There are things in the Bible, like God's command for the Israelites to kill the Canaanites, that can cause us to doubt the goodness of God. When people question if miracles really happened, it can make us question the reality of Jesus' virgin birth or his resurrection from the dead. Misunderstandings of the Bible or confusion because of incorrect Christian teaching can cause us to doubt our faith. Often our doubts come from our own personal experiences. When we sin in shameful ways, we can begin to doubt God's grace and his willingness to forgive. I'm such a terrible person. Why would God be willing to forgive me? I keep falling in the same sin. I'm not even worthy of asking for forgiveness anymore. Our sins put distance between God and us. We don't feel his love and acceptance. And so we begin to doubt his gracious promises. The further we're alienated from God, the more we doubt him. For many Christians, what causes them to doubt God and his promises is going through tough times. It's hard to see a loved one terminally ill at a young age. We have questions for why God allows the life of one of our parents to go on and on for many years when their mental capacities have been ravished by dementia. We question why we need to deal with illness, with marital difficulties or financial stress. If God is good, if God truly loves me, why does he allow me to suffer so much? It's easy to get discouraged, anxious and depressed. In the midst of our pain, our loneliness, our suffering, we lose sight of God. This morning, our text deals with John the Baptist's doubts. John heard of the wondrous miracles Jesus was doing, but he was in prison because of his faith. He was locked up in a dungeon because he had told Herod it was not lawful for him to marry his brother's wife. John was facing hardship and adversity, It caused this man who had served as herald of the coming Messiah to question if Jesus truly was the promised one. I preach to you the word of God under the following theme. The Lord Jesus compassionately responds to John's doubts about his faith. We'll consider why John faces doubts about his faith. How Jesus compassionately responds to John's doubts. And now Jesus calls us to a living faith in him. Luke 7 begins with Jesus performing two stunning miracles. First, Jesus healed the centurion's servant without going to him and seeing him and laying hands on him, but simply by saying the word. Second, Jesus interrupted a funeral procession and raised a widow's son from the dead. It was such an awesome work that fear seized all who witnessed this miracle. The people glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This report about him spread through the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. John was not there to see these miraculous deeds himself. He was languishing in prison. Yet John's disciples reported these things to him. Calling two of his disciples to himself, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one to come, or shall we look for another? To us it seems like a strange question. During his public ministry, John had served as herald of the coming Messiah. He had baptized Jesus and seen the Spirit of God descend on him. On one occasion when Jesus approached him, John had said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But now, John has doubts. That's not so strange. It's not impossible for a prophet of God to face a dark time in his life. Just think of some of the prophets of the Old Testament. Jeremiah. Thought about quitting. The people ridiculed him and treated him with contempt. Since they refused to listen, he was sick and tired of trying to teach them. And so he thought about quitting. At a certain point in his ministry, Elijah ran off into the wilderness. He asked God that he might die. Elijah was discouraged and depressed thinking he was the only righteous person left in the land. It's likely that John also faced doubts about who Jesus was because of wrong expectations that he had about Jesus. Jesus spoke of how the axe was laid to the root of the trees and of how every tree that does not bear good fruit would be cut down and thrown into the fire. John had prophesied that Messiah would come With the Holy Spirit and with fire. He spoke of how he would gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John expected the Messiah not only to bring salvation to his people, but also to come in judgment to destroy God's enemies. According to the reports John was getting, Jesus was preaching about the kingdom of God. He was healing people of their illnesses and diseases. Yet John didn't see Jesus bringing judgment on God's enemies. Perhaps John was expecting that Jesus would overcome Israel's corrupt religious establishment. It was likely he was expecting Jesus to put an end to the Roman tyranny, to give Israel her political independence. John's personal circumstances didn't help his outlook. John was locked up in a dungeon that was part of one of King Herod's fortresses, about eight kilometers from the Dead Sea. He was in prison because he had told Herod it was wrong for him to marry his brother's wife. It's likely that John would have been expecting Jesus to come and get his prophet out of prison. But the months passed, and he was languishing in jail the future did not look bright for John. The Bible makes it clear he never regained his freedom. In the end, Herod had him beheaded. When we go through hard times, it's difficult for us to hold on to a positive perspective on life. In part, this is because of our expectations. We believe that God is good, that God loves us. We think that this means that God will fill our lives with blessings, but when God fails to grant us physical healing or financial prosperity or the family situation that we prayed for, we're tempted to doubt whether he really is the God he claims to be. What we often forget, beloved, is that it's through difficult and trying times of life that God accomplishes His best work in our lives. Times of health and prosperity tend to make us proud and complacent. During such times, we don't feel like we really need God. It's the tough times that teach us to put our trust in God, they help us to grow. And mature in our faith. Yet sickness and pain and struggles and sorrows often cause doubt. The hardships of life grind on us. The brokenness of life wears us down. It's often when we're tired and discouraged that the doubts come. It's only as we work through our struggles that we will grow and mature in our faith. Jesus was not the Messiah John expected. And so it's natural that John sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? This was a very good question to ask. It's one of the most important questions anyone could ever ask Is Jesus the Christ, the promised Messiah? Is he the Savior God promised to send? How you answer that question will determine your destiny. If you believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, you will share in the salvation that he came to bring. If you reject Jesus and deny him as the promised Messiah, you'll ultimately come under his judgment The way to be sure about Jesus' identity is to go back to his person and work. That's what we should always do when God fails to meet our expectations or when we're overwhelmed by our personal problems or plagued with doubt. Often in such circumstances we'll be tempted to reject Jesus and find satisfaction somewhere else. But John had the right approach. Rather than brooding over his skeptical doubts, he sent his disciples to go ask Jesus questions. In the same way, when we face struggles and doubts in our faith, we need to run to God, not away from him. We need to look again to see who Jesus is and what he has done. Brings us to our second point. And I will consider how Jesus compassionately responds to John's doubts. Jesus takes the question John asked him seriously. John was seeking confirmation that Jesus truly was the one to come, the promised Messiah. To confirm that he was, Jesus did not first speak. Our text tells us that Jesus first acted. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. John's disciples had reported to him about the things that the people were saying about Jesus. Jesus allowed them to see him perform many mighty miracles themselves. So that they could personally testify to John about what they had seen with their own eyes. Yet Jesus knows that miracles in themselves often do not lead people to faith. Miracles demonstrate the mighty power of God. But unless we understand who is doing them and why, they do not bring people to faith. After healing many people of diseases, casting out evil spirits, and bestowing sight on the blind, Jesus showed how these works were done in fulfillment of what the Old Testament prophets had foretold. He told John's disciples, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. Isaiah was the prophet who had said, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. This prophecy was given in the context of the coming of the Lord. When Jesus raised the widow of Nain's son from the dead, he fulfilled this prophecy. Isaiah also prophesied, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. When Jesus healed people of all kinds of illnesses and diseases, he was fulfilling this prophecy Earlier in his ministry, Jesus had taught in the synagogue of Nazareth. Luke 4 tells us that Jesus read from part of the scroll of Isaiah. He read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus reminds John with that, of that, with a reference to the fact. He came to proclaim good news to the poor. Why did Jesus quote from the Old Testament scriptures? John's question was, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus makes it clear that in his words and works, he was doing exactly the things the prophets foretold. Jesus is not asking John to believe in him because he performed mighty signs and wonders. Instead, Jesus points back to what the prophets said about what the Messiah would do. And he asked John to evaluate him on that basis. Was Jesus doing what the prophets said the Messiah would do when he came? If so, then John should believe in him based on their testimony. At the end of his answer to John, Jesus added, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John would have recognized that this too was a reference to the prophecy of Isaiah. When he prophesied about the becoming Messiah, Isaiah said, He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. These are troubling verses from Isaiah 8. They mean that even when the Lord came to bring salvation, some people would reject him. They would stumble over the rock of salvation. They would be offended by the very idea that they needed Jesus as their saviour. Beloved, doesn't this describe many people, many of the people that we know in society around us? Many people are so convinced that they are good people. They believe that God will accept them on that basis. Even though in their lives they blatantly break God's commandments and never seek forgiveness for their sins. And how is that with us, beloved? Beloved? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the one who was to come? Do we receive him as the promised Messiah? Do we seek our salvation and well-being in Christ alone? How do we react to struggles and suffering in our lives? If God is not living up to our expectations... And providing the blessings we think that we deserve. What do we do? Do we begin to doubt His goodness, His love, His faithfulness? Often there's a temptation for us to go our own way. If God doesn't live up to our expectations, if we're hurting and struggling, we're less inclined to live God-pleasing lives. We might avoid gathering for worship on Sundays because we feel like it's no use to serve a God who just allows more hardships and struggles into our lives. We might be tempted to lie or cheat or steal because we think that we deserve more than God is providing for us. We might turn to porn or engage in illicit sex because God is not providing me with a partner in life. So what do you do when you're facing doubts about who Jesus is? Where do you turn when the struggles and the sorrows of life overwhelm you? Before the sermon, we sang some verses from Psalm 77. Afterwards, we'll sing some more of this psalm. In Psalm 77, the psalmist cries out to God when he's weighed down by many troubles. He asked, Will the Lord spurn us forever and withhold from us his favor? Will his love and mercy fail? Will his promises not prevail? The psalmist felt deserted by God and estranged from him. And instead of turning away from God, the psalmist went back to examine who God is. Instead of basing his perspective on his present circumstances, he studied the mighty deeds of God for his people of old. The psalmist especially remembered the Lord's powerful work of delivering Israel from slavery in Egypt. How the Lord made a path on dry land through the midst of the sea. How he led Israel to safety between towering walls of water on either side. This helped him regain a perspective on who God is and what God has done for his people. It calmed his troubled soul, helping him to realize that as God redeemed and freed his people from of old, he would continue to shepherd them, also amid Their hardships. We can learn from this, beloved. When faced with troubles or sorrows, we're inclined to blame God, to doubt His goodness and faithfulness. Our natural tendency is to be disappointed in God and turn away from Him. But that's exactly the opposite of what we should be doing. What we need to do is to turn to the Lord. We need to read his word, to meditate on his promises, to call on him in our prayers. Communion with the Lord may not do away with the specific troubles facing you in your life, but it will certainly help you deal with them. By his grace and spirit, the Lord will encourage you to walk forward in faith, trusting in his love and care brings us to our final point, and we'll see how Jesus calls us to a living faith in him. In our text, once John's disciples leave to bring him word from Jesus, Jesus speaks to the crowds about John. He did not want them to have the wrong impression about John just because he was going through a difficult time. Jesus asked the people, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? John certainly was not a reed blown by the winds of public opinion. He was a strong character who boldly proclaimed the message God had sent him to convey. John was not the kind of man who stood around in a king's palace wearing fancy clothes and eating rich food. Everyone knew that John wore a camel skin around his waist, that his diet consisted mainly of locusts and wild honey. John was one of the most popular teachers in Israel. Yet it was not because he told the people what they wanted to hear. It was because it was clear to them, he was a prophet sent from God. Jesus affirms John's prophetic role. Yet he said that John was more than a prophet. He said, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Jesus quoted from Malachi's prophecy to show that John was the herald whom God would send to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And then Jesus said, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Why did Jesus say this? What made John great was not his personal identity, but his special calling to prepare the way for salvation. Since Jesus was the Messiah, John was more than just Another prophet. He was the last and the greatest prophet before Christ. John had fearlessly proclaimed the message message that the Messiah was coming. He called the people to prepare their hearts for the coming of the Lord by repenting of their sins and amending their lives. When Jesus came, John identified him as the Messiah. John was the one who ushered in the Messianic age. Yeah, that's not all. When Jesus came, John receded into the background. He didn't call attention to himself. In a spirit of humility, he said, he must increase, I must decrease. Part of John's greatness was his willingness to stand aside, to allow the Messiah to take central stage. In the end, John was martyred for his faith. Herod beheaded him because he was unwilling to compromise, even in the message he brought to this ruler. Beloved, we can understand to some degree why Jesus said that among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet Jesus added a statement to that. He said, Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. These are puzzling words. To understand this, it's helpful to look at what Jesus said in Luke 10, verses 23 and 24. There Jesus said to his disciples, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. John had the privilege of preparing the way for the coming Messiah. Yet the disciples had a much greater privilege of knowing Jesus as the Messiah and of having the way of salvation more fully revealed to them. And we, beloved... We are tremendously privileged. For many ages, the way of salvation was a mystery no one could understand. Peter writes, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating When he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The prophets of old saw only a shadow of what was to come. But living in the last days, the gospel has been preached to us. The mystery long hidden has been made clear. We know of Christ's saving work, accomplished. Through his death and resurrection. It is understandable that John doubted, for though he knew that Jesus was the Messiah sent from God, he did not know the way of salvation. John did not understand the Father's love for us in giving us his only Son. He did not know that Jesus would be willing to suffer and die for our sins. John did not understand that while hanging on the cross, Jesus would be utterly forsaken by God so that we might nevermore be forsaken by him. He didn't comprehend that Jesus would have to bear the burden of our sins, that he would have to suffer God's wrath for us. John also didn't understand that after three days, Jesus would be raised from the dead. It's only with his resurrection that Jesus' victory over sin, Satan, and death is made clear. John struggled with the fact he didn't see Jesus' kingship over his enemies and the destruction of those who opposed him. But that was because during John's life, Jesus had not yet been taken up into glory to sit on the throne at the Father's right hand. But beloved, we know all these things. We're privileged to know the heart of the Christian faith, that Jesus died to pay for our sins, that he rose to grant us new life in him, that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. As weak and sinful human beings, there will be times when we are faced with doubts about our faith. Young people often go through a time when they ask themselves the question, if they truly believe what they've been taught about their faith. It's okay to ask the hard questions. God does not require a blind faith. He wants you to examine the facts. The Christian faith is a reasonable faith. It can withstand scrutiny. Study the Bible carefully. You'll see who God is and that He's faithful to His promises. Often when we go through trials and struggles, doubts will arise in our hearts. Pain, sorrow, suffering, and death can make us question God's goodness and care. There are times when it seems like God is far away. Yeah, beloved, in the dark times of life, we need to go back and look at who God is and at what he has done for us. In Romans 8, Paul asks, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In the coming weeks, we will celebrate Christ's death and resurrection. These redemptive events form the basis of our faith. We see Christ's love and being willing to lay down his life for us. We see his power in the fact that after he laid down his life, he took it back again. This is your God, beloved. The king who is now seated on the right hand of glory, ruling over all things. The one who has promised to hold fast all who believe in him. May this glorious gospel message help to dispel our doubts and encourage us to seek our life and well-being in the only Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In response to the gospel, let's rise and sing. Psalm 77, stanzas 4, 5, and 7.